Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. Let's get into His Word, shall we? We believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word and the only hope for humanity. We're going to get into it. We're going to start with Luke chapter 19, verse 5 from the Message Bible says this. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day. Everybody say today. Today Today is my day, Jesus said, to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant, indignant. They were furious and they grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically and he said, Master, I give away half my income to the poor and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times in the damages. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Everybody say today. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Now, Lord, would you anoint your word today and work it inside of us. Open the eyes of our heart that we can take hold of your purposes and your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Our theme this month is good God. We believe God is a good God. We said focus on God's goodness and faith will come alive. You know, a lot of times we hear the world focusing on so much darkness and gloom and doom and despair. Um, But we focus on God's goodness and his mercy. Many people know and love the story of Zacchaeus from Sunday school. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Anybody remember that? You know, he climbed up on the sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. Anyway, I'm not going to do the whole thing for you. Uh, We could probably have somebody come wrap it for you if you want. But this guy was known to his whole town as a crooked tax collector. He was a criminal. He was worthless. He he was despised. The whole town hated him. And yet he was chosen by Jesus for a shared meal at his house. And suddenly in this encounter, his value system changes. He doesn't just see Jesus. He's excited to have him over to his house. He experienced such a heart change. He starts talking about making amends for the bad things he's done in the past. He's gonna pay back what he's stolen with interest. And the Lord replies, today is salvation day for you, Zach. Something's happened here. And then Jesus says to the people who were furious, the religious crowd that thought they didn't need help, they can earn their way. They said, They were so angry and Jesus looked at them and he said, the son of man came not for you alone, but to restore the lost, to help the broken, the undeserving. The people were so angry because it didn't seem fair. Today I wanna talk to you about justice and fairness for a few minutes popular buzzwords out there in the, in the world. We, 
all like things to be fair and just, don't we? We all like things to be fair and just, especially when it works for our benefit. You know, I mean, fairness is, fairness is a subjective thing. It's not, it's not something concrete. It's subjective. If you, could, if, you, you know, if you see a guy blowing past you 85 miles an hour and you see him get pulled over, you call it justice. Right? I'm glad he got him because he's going faster than I was. But if you're going over the speed limit yourself and five cars pass you, but you're the one that gets pulled over, that's not fair. Right? We tend to complain when things are not fair against us. A few years ago, my wife and I were driving back from the beach and on, uh, on 40 coming out of Ormond, I just had this sense of, you know, I need to not maybe go as fast as I usually do today. And I slowed down. And yet when I hit Barberville, apparently they had a, a, a slowdown, then another slowdown. And the one sign was literally behind a tree. And so it went from 60, uh, which I was doing fine in, unlike most times. And, and so I, I, I get in there and, and there was a, a, a Volusia County deputy I didn't realize it went from 60 to 50 to 40 in like 100 yards. And he gets me and pulls me over. And I was so mad because I was just doing better than I usually do. <laughs> but that's no defense. I wanted to say, you know, I, I, I kind of sensed and I, that I should go slower. And I really did the speeding until that. He goes, well, you missed it right there. You know, I didn't tell him that, but he's, you know, he's like, well, you right there. I said, I didn't see that. He goes, well, it's there. And I thought, that's not fair. Just seen the guys passing me 10 minutes ago. You didn't get them? It's not fair. But what about if things are unfair to our benefit? See, what about when things are unfair to remember? We don't grumble about that. In fact, we call that answered prayer and the favor of God. Right? We say, that's a, God answered my prayers. I, I, I got something I didn't deserve. I got something good. There are times when all of us find ourselves in a better situation than we thought we'd ever be in. How did, we, how did I get here? Most of us have had one or two, I call them Forrest Gump moments. Remember Forrest Gump, he was, he, he was with the president and he was with the Beatles and he was with this and he always walked into these things, these situations. I've had some of those moments myself years ago when I was preparing for ministry <clears throat> in the 80s. We were just young people in our mid-20s. I was assistant, I was a youth pastor in a large church in Orlando. And um, right then the, the two uh, leading spirit-filled pastors or leaders in the world were under intense persecution and stuff was going on and their names were being dragged through the mud. People never heard of, that had never heard of Oral Roberts or Jimmy Swaggart were suddenly talking about them in the late 80s. And my pastor, Benny Hinn in Orlando, decided to uh, have a conference and invite both of them to come in their most controversial time. And those two men had never met each other. They'd heard of each other for years, never met each other. <clears throat> and then there was a special breakfast uh, with pastors and people, leaders from all over to honor these guys and to hear, hear from them. And, and you know, they, they weren't perfect. They didn't live perfect lives. They never claimed to. But this was a real interesting time. And um, I'll never forget, I was, I was assigned to drive Jimmy Swagger's wife, Francis, and, and some of their, their team. And... Uh, 
And we're sitting at this, this big breakfast banquet and there's a head table. Everybody's up there and Pastor Benny Hinn and Old Roberts and all these, fam- all these famous preachers are up on the, on the dais there. And Pastor Benny said, you know, I want to have um, Jimmy Swaggart's son, Donnie, come up here. I want Old Roberts to pray for Donnie Swaggart. I thought, well, that's really cool. And, he's, and, and then, and then, and then uh, and Old Roberts now is up on the desk. He looks at me and he motions for me to come up. And I thought, oh, he's, he's old. He, does, he, he thinks I'm Donnie Swagger. <laughs> Donnie Swagger's clearly going up there. And he, and, and he goes, and, and he keeps motioning me. And I'm, I'm like looking around to think. Well, who? So Pastor Benny steps up and, and Oral Roberts said, I want this guy to stand in the place of my son and have Jimmy Swagger pray for my son, Richard. And Pastor Benny hinted, oh, Richard for a Richard. I love it. That's great. <laughs> so I find myself, I still have pictures somewhere of me standing there. It's me, Benny Hinn, Oral Roberts, Jimmy Swagger, Donnie Swagger, and they've got their arms around me and praying over me to pray for Richard Roberts. And I thought, and I kind of had this moment like, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> this is weird. And I used to call it the, you know, I used to call it uh, the, the picture I had, the five most persecuted preachers in the world. You know, like, like, like I was with them. I, and, I, and I thought, I better stop confessing that. I don't want to be persecuted like they are. They were in a lot of heat. But we all find ourselves in places we don't deserve at times to our benefit. Heard about a pastor who took his TV team out to the streets of Boston a couple years ago interviewing people on camera and asking this question, how do people get to heaven? 96 to 97% of people, including believers, said that heaven is all about fairness. Good people go to heaven, bad people don't. Good people go to heaven, bad people don't. And you can really, you can think of, you know, that's, that, that kind of is part of a common thought pattern that we have, you know? So I have a question for you today, though. When you think about that, that 96% of people in the streets of Boston just a couple years ago believe that heaven or relationship with God, the kingdom of God, is about behavior. It's about earning it. It's about goodness, human goodness. That if your good things outweigh your bad things, somehow you are entitled to heaven. My question is, do we really want God to be fair? When it comes to heaven, do we want God to be fair? Do we want him to give us just what we deserve? The reason many of us are here today is because God is incredibly unfair to our benefit. I want to use our few minutes together telling you a powerful story that I heard recently. It's not an original for me, but it just was life-changing for me. Now, I hope you'll never forget this story. Really demonstrates the goodness and the outrageous grace, the scandalous grace of God, unlike any other. You know, most stories, you get kind of a backstory, then you get the conflict, then you get the resolution. In this story in the scriptures, it's not here. It's not there. Now, I'm not going to tell you Zacchaeus. I already read you Zacchaeus, but I want Zacchaeus to be kind of that comparison there of how he encountered Jesus, because this is different. Jesus 
In the scriptures in Luke chapter 23, Jesus is being led to the cross along with two other men. Luke 23, 22, excuse me, 32 from the message to this. Two others, both criminals, were taken along with him for execution. Now, the Bible doesn't give their names, but church history, we know that one of their names was Demas. At least church history tells us that. If you know anything about the Roman Empire at the time, they usually took criminals and they put them on slave ships across the Mediterranean Sea as rowers. They were the engines to get across the Mediterranean Sea. If you remember seeing the movie Ben-Hur at all or any of those, they were in slave ships. We don't know what Demas did or the other criminal did, but we know somehow this guy Demas, his decisions in life must have hardened him to the point where Rome decided it was better to execute him than use him as a slave. They didn't, they didn't want to put up, they didn't want to put, you know, lose that manpower lightly. He must have done some heinous crimes. He must have done some horrendous things. And verse 33 says, when they got to the place called Skull Hill, they crucified Jesus along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. The Bible paints the scene, dark and ominous skies, mockery fills the air. They've beaten Jesus to where he is hardly recognized as a human before they nailed him to the cross. And then the mocking voices start in the scriptures. You see it from different directions. If you're really the the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you're really the son of God, save yourself. And one of the criminals, not Demas, but the other one, even echoes that. If you're really who you say you are, then save yourself. Save us. Verse 39 says, some Messiah you are. Save yourself and save us. In the midst of all the uproar and confusion, one voice rings out to defend Jesus. Surprisingly, it's not one of the people that Jesus healed. It's not the woman with the issue of blood. It's not Jairus' daughter. It's not the disciples. It's not Peter, James, or John. It's not the ladies that came around that helped him. There's, There's only one voice that speaks out among the crowd in defense of Jesus. Not one of the people he healed is set free. Not one of the close disciples. No, it's Demas, the worthless and hopeless criminal being executed next to Jesus, rebukes the other one. And in verse 40 says, but the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear of God, Demas says? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. Now, this is crazy because this, if you think about it, this is an uneducated criminal in his last moments speaking a profound three-point message. This will preach, number one, this is a divine thing that's happening. God is doing something. Number two, we're getting what we deserve. In a world of self-awareness or lack thereof, this guy has a moment where he says, we're getting what we deserve. 
We need to be executed. But not this guy. Number three, he says, there's someone here who doesn't deserve to die because he's done nothing wrong. In one sentence, he captures the reality of the human condition. We are bad without him, and he is good. We're bad, he's good. The Bible said this way, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Think about this, this criminal, this prisoner, this bad guy. Demas has no hope, he has no chance of heaven, no chance of relationship with God, not if his actions or decisions are gonna be weighed in the balance. His goodness over badness, is, you know, if that's the primary issue, he's lost, he's gone. How he's treated others, we don't know, but he was considered condemned by Rome. He needed grace. In an act of desperation, this criminal cries out, Verse 42, he said, Demas said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Oh my gosh. If the kingdom of God is about being good enough, Demas has no chance, no choice. If it's about fairness, it's over for Demas. Theologians have debated for centuries how Demas even formed the thought to ask for mercy right there hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Maybe some have speculated that Jesus in his agony, that he heard Jesus praying on the cross in verse 34, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Somehow the Holy Spirit moved within Demas' heart and mind Maybe because he heard that. Listen, he heard Jesus initiating forgiveness to everyone around Golgotha that day and nobody was asking for forgiveness. Nobody expressed they had a change of heart. The soldiers didn't suddenly stop and say, you know what? We've done the wrong thing. But Jesus express forgiveness. My friends, the point is there's nothing that this thief can do. There's nothing this criminal can do. He can't become a productive member of society. He can't redeem his mistakes or pay back what he stole. There's no time to make amends. Zacchaeus had time to make amends. He said, I'll, I'll pay back what I've stolen. I'll, I'll, I'll give to the poor. I'll do this and that. And this guy is in the last few minutes of his own life. He's got no chance He's got no time to join his local church and become an usher in God's house. He can't even prove his sincerity. A lot of people question, well, I don't know if, you, I don't know if that person really, you know, really gave, gave their life to the Lord because I, you know, I don't know if they were sincere. This guy doesn't have enough time to even show he's sincere. Most of you know the story, but I want you to let it unfold maybe and hit you the way it hit me because the NIV describes this moment in dramatic fashion in three amazing words when he said, Jesus, remember me. Verse 43, Jesus answered 
him. Are you kidding me? Jesus answered him with every breath. The, 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 the Bible even says, and medical professionals have talked about the fact that as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he had to speak. He had to lift himself up with those nails in his hands and in his feet. He had to pull himself up to take a breath. And he, yet he spoke to the man. He answered him personally. This crook, this worthless hoodlum, with all the turmoil on that hill, when every word caused him excruciating shockwaves of pain, Jesus answered him. Why bother? Why even acknowledge this criminal? in his statement at all. He even prefaces this shocking statement with Jesus makes it the next time. He says, I tell you the truth. So he didn't just answer. Here's what he answered. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. That's what you tell somebody when, you, when you're about to say something that's unbelievable. I'm telling you, I guarantee you that what I'm about to say is true. Truly, I tell you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. <laughs> Jesus even gave this bad guy the same reward as he did people that have served God all their lives. If that's not outrageous, if that's not scandalous, Grace, I don't know what is. I hope you remember this story and carry it with you because I want you to know that the Christian faith is not about your personal performance. It's not about pious religiosity or traditions of men. It's not about your goodness, but it's all about God's goodness. No matter how many times you failed, even if you've blown it so badly that you've given up on yourself, this message of Easter, this message of resurrection is a message of hope. My friend, you are never further than you think you are from the reach of God's amazing grace. This is what Jesus died for. The whosoever wills who can't offer anything back. When you get to the heart of the gospel, even though the Bible teaches how to live blessed lives, and that's what we teach a lot around here, filled with God's goodness, the core message is this message of grace over fairness and justice. How could anyone ever trade grace for a religion based on personal performance? I mean, who thinks that they're really good enough to go to heaven on their own merits. Based on what? Based on the Ten Commandments? Based on the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you? If you, like many people, believe that heaven is for good people, then the most important question becomes, well, then how good do you have to be? 
Because in the Ten Commandments, it starts off with, you shall have no other gods before this God. There's already one strike against most people. Because you have something else that you value more than you value God and his presence. So how good do you have to be? You don't want to show up at the gates of heaven and find out that you're one smile short, right? You're, you're, you're one random act of kindness from the standards. We, we wanted to let you in, but we, the, the threshold is this. And you missed it by that much. I mean, what if it is about? How would you even approach life if it, was tr- if it was truly about your goodness? What if you'd lived a selfish and angry life and suddenly you wanted to change, but there might not be any time left to do enough good things to make up for all the bad stuff? That would leave you totally hopeless. And even if it is about the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule, Nobody can prefer others before themselves perfectly and keep everything every single time. So what's the standard? What's the percentage? Is it like in school? When I was in school, anything below 70% was a failure. Now I understand it's like 60%. They kind of lowered the standard to just get you through. But what is it 60, 70%? What What if you only have 59%? Are you awake today? My friends, I'm almost done, but every single religion in the earth boils down to this. There is a God. He's got some standards. You've got to live up to those standards. Good luck. Hope you make it. That's religion. I don't care which, pick any religion out there right now, and that's the, that's the description. There is a God that, you know, we, we, we believe he's got some standards. You've got to live up to standards. Good luck but not the Christian faith. That's what sets us apart. That's not the message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. The message of our faith is this. We did bad. He did good. And out of his good, we get good. If there were ever a story that demonstrates this outrageous, scandalous grace, it's the story of Demas. The criminal with just a few moments to live and nothing to offer and no time to make amends that proves. I mean, my friends, that story changes the world and turns religion upside down. That Jesus did for all of us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus laid down his perfect sinless life. And it's not fair. It's not fair at all. But for our benefit. He knows your darkest thoughts in your darkest moments and loves you anyway. His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension signaled to the world that the kingdom of God is not reserved for good people, 
but for forgiven people. And this forgiveness is a gift that simply has to be received and opened. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that when you saw us, you saw value enough to die for. You saw enough value when we had nothing to offer. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Holy Spirit, you're in this place. Would you roll the stones away from the tombs of our hardened hearts and reveal the resurrection power of Jesus once again. If there's hope for Demas, then there's hope for every one of us. I'm gonna say this to you, maybe you've blown it so bad. Maybe you have walked with the Lord at one point, but you have fallen away, walked away, gotten caught up in that quagmire of downward spiral and self-blame. I'm here to tell you that you're not too far gone for Jesus. That what he does is a miracle when you have nothing to offer. And part of the miracle is that you recognize finally at some point, I don't have anything to offer. It's not because I'm such a good person. It's not because I gave to this or did that or did a nice thing. It's simply by his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. For the whosoever wills. Before you leave this room, I wanna to declare to you, you don't have to leave the same way you came in. Maybe you came in with depression. Maybe you came in with hopelessness. Maybe you came in and you've been an, an addict and you've gotten caught up in something that's bigger than you and you can't seem to find your way out. I wanna tell you that our God, the freedom that we sang about a few moments ago is real and it is true and it is not because of you. <clears throat> it's because of him. It's because Jesus lived the perfect sinless life and gave that life up for you and for me on the cross. There's one requirement. The Bible says that you accept him. To as many as received him, the Bible says, he gave the power and the right to become the children of God. All over this place with your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe you're at home watching us today because you couldn't get even out to church on Easter. I wanna say this to you right now. The greatest miracle we believe God heals cancer but the greatest miracle is not the healing of cancer. The greatest miracle is that someone can come into a place in one condition, in darkness, in 
worthlessness and despair and hopelessness. And yet, the Son of God can arise in your heart today if you'll simply open it to Him. In just a moment, I want to pray for you right before we, we're going to let you go. We got some special things happening today. Even as you leave, but before you go, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. A lot of times people, they're sitting there hearing this and hoping this is for someone else. But sometimes when you give people a moment to respond, they'll respond in a ways I've had people say to me, I don't know why I responded. I, I just didn't know, but now I know I needed him. I believe you're here for a reason today. And I believe this message is for you, not for somebody else around you. I wanna pray for you a very specific and powerful prayer just a moment before we close. When I count to three, I simply want you to raise your hand if you want me to pray for you. We're not gonna have you up at the front. We're not gonna make a big production out of it. We simply, I wanna know who I'm praying for in the room. When I count to three, one. Listen, God made a perfect world. Sin and Satan messed it up. But Jesus came to fix it and restore it. You can't blame him. Two, don't wait. People say, well, I'll just do this some other time. <clears throat> you know, the Bible says, the word says that when Jesus stirred up the water, when the water is stirred, when you jump in, that's when you get your breakthrough. I want to say to you that the water of God, the living water is stirred up in this room. Don't try to get him on your own time right now. This is your moment. Every man, every woman, every child. I want to pray for you right now that you would know him, that you would have the power to live for him or rededicate your heart to him. Three, put your hand up and keep it up. Want me to pray for you? Put your hand up and keep it up right now all over the room. I wanna pray for you right now. Father, well, you know what? There are other hands going up. Come on, some of you are still thinking about it. <clears throat> Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, I, wanna, I want Jesus and to be the Lord of my life. I wanna know this forgiveness. That's awesome. Lord, I pray for every person whose hand is raised, every person whose heart is open, that you'd reveal Jesus, the Son of God, in all of your goodness, in all of your mercy, and in all of your glory. In Jesus' name. Everyone with your hands up, just say, you know, everybody just say this out loud. Just say, Jesus, come into my life in a brand new way. Forgive me of my failures, of my sin, and help me to live for you. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, event registration, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag Now Church. Thank you.